Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the Message Trust. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing, check out our website, message.org.uk. I read these Christmas prayers. Don't know whether you've heard these. The girls' Christmas prayer. Our marks, which art in Spencer's. Hallowed be thy food hall. The Gucci watch, the cookie bag, in Hermes, as it is in Harrods. Give us each day our visa gold and forgive us our overdraft, as we forgive those who stop our next cart. And lead us not into Dorothy Perkins or deliver us from Topshop, for thine is the Nafnaf, the Cartier and the Versace, for Gaultier and Eternity. Amex. And here's the lad's Christmas prayer. Our beer, which art in barrels, hallowed be thy drink, thy will be drunk, I will be drunk, at home as it is in the local, forgive us this day our daily spillage, as we forgive those who spill us against us, and lead us not into the practice of poncy wine tasting, and deliver us from alco pops, for mine is the bitter, the ale and the lager, forever and ever, barmen. Now, isn't it crackers, actually? We laugh, but isn't it crackers that we celebrate the birth of the Son of God like that? He's the one born in poverty and seclusion by this wild frenzy of materialism and excess. And one of my, um, you know, I told you about my least favourite Worldwide Message Tribe song. In fact, we played it. It's a short life. We're not going to play it again. It's bad for the soul. But I'd say possibly my favourite, or certainly one of my favourites, was a song called We Take the Blame. And there was a line in it, nobody, everyone's quiet because they're like, never heard it. You're going to hear one line of it now, friends. The birth of the very Son of God was celebrated in an orgy of materialism. It's good, isn't it? <laughs> and, uh, say it again, say it again. Uh, do you want me to do it one more time? The birth of the very Son of God is celebrated in an orgy of materialism. But isn't that the truth, eh? That's the truth. The birth of the very Son of God is celebrated with an orgy of materialism. How crackers is that? But we know what it's all about because we've got it in the book and we know it in our hearts. The birth of the very Son of God is actually only mentioned in two Gospels. Of course, John tells us that the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, prophesying into the birth, the miraculous birth of Jesus. But the actual detail is only found in Luke and Matthew. Going to look into Luke in a moment. Luke begins with John the Baptist and these two old people, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and an angelic visitation telling them that after all their waiting, waiting here for you, waiting and not seeing the answer, waiting and he's gone, we're never going to see the miracle, suddenly it's time for God to move. And the angel tells them, you're going to give birth to a son, John the Baptist, and miraculously, Amazingly, it happens. And from that moment, over the next months, there's like this explosion of angelic activity and the prophetic and the Holy Spirit being poured out. And God just moves on the earth in a way perhaps he never done in the whole of history. There's been 400 years of silence, 400 years of waiting. We've got all the prophecies. We've got the Old Testament. We know, you know, where the Son of God's going to be born, whose family he's going to be born into. We know what's going to happen to him, what kind of life he's going to live. It's all there in the Old Testament test something then 400 years of waiting here for him and silence and then suddenly it's time for God to move and isn't that so often the way 
in the Christian life, even in our little worlds, not the big cosmic adventure of God in my little life. It's so often nothing, 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 everything happens with our finances, happens with ministry, happens in all sorts of areas because that way we know it's really God. You know, it really is God when we have nothing, when God hems us in and we're like hanging on by our fingernails and suddenly he comes through for us. And that's what's happening here. Suddenly God's on the move in a massive way. Six months after the visitation uh, to Zechariah and Elizabeth, a girl called Mary gets a visitation from the same angel, the angel Gabriel, and uh, says this in, in Luke chapter, 20, chapter 1 verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, the town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. It's time. And the angel isn't sent to the religious capital, Jerusalem. He's sent to a little backwater in the northwest of the country. All the best things come from the northwest. We know that, don't we? And uh, a, a poverty-stricken place. Nazareth, Nazareth, we believe, was little more than a, a bunch of caves. And it was quite an irreligious community. It wasn't known as the centre of Judaism. It, it was a, a backwater place, a forgotten place. And yet the angel went to that place with the most sensational news the world's ever heard. And I think there's a little principle there as well. Even with the angels, you know, Gabriel was given a job to do and he was faithful with it. So let's step up the responsibility. Let's give him an even more important. In fact, here's a man who's proved, not a man, here's an angel who's proved faithful in this job. So let's give him the big job. There's something about doing what's before you well and God, at the proper time, will give you great responsibility and allow you to see greater fruit. And uh, it, it works for the angels and it works for us. Some people expect big ministries, expect big things, but they're not prepared to be faithful in the small things. But the Bible says if you're faithful in the small things, you'll be given the big things. When the time's right, God's timing's perfect in all this stuff. Anyway, the same angel came to this faithful young woman. In fact, not even a woman, a girl, almost certainly. I'm sure you know this. Mary was probably 13 or 14. That was the age that girls were betrothed to be married in Jesus' day. And uh, he brought this awesome word to her. You, greetings. You who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Wouldn't you love the Lord to say that to you through an angel? Greetings, Gary. You're highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Yes, you are. Because Jesus is on your life. Yes, you are. But there's a, I believe there's a, we're all highly favoured because we're the sons and daughters of God. We're highly favoured because we're inheritors of heaven and God's got a plan for our life. We're the highly favoured people. We're living in this covenant that, that relies and, and runs on the favour of God. But there is a measure of favour, I believe. Some people carry that highly favoured thing going on. You know that's true. Some people just live lives of favour, never the easiest lives but always the most fruitful lives. And Mary was a highly favoured one. But of course she was troubled. She's just a young kid. And there's a, I don't know how tall he was. Let's say he was a hundred foot tall. I like to think he was. He was a big boy, Gabriel. 
And uh, she's looking at this giant white angel. I didn't get that from the scriptures, I just made it up. You're not allowed to do that, but I just did it. And uh, you'd be scared. And and Mary is troubled. Mary was greatly troubled, the Bible says, at his words, and wondered what kind of greeting this means. But the angel said to her, he reiterated, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. What a thing. This poor, insignificant girl in this little backwater had found favor with the living God. Do you think you can find favour with God? There's some things you can do that, that mean the favour of God rests on your life. I believe you can. I believe you can order your life. You can make decisions that mean there's a greater measure of favour around your life. And I was uh, preparing a talk for, for, for Ramp Church earlier this month. And I just thought, you know, we don't talk about Mary much, do we? We don't because we're, we're a bit freaked out by other people's excesses. Other people have said weird things about Mary. She's the holy virgin. No, she wasn't. She was just an ordinary, frail, inconsistent woman with a passion for God. They pray to Mary. What the heck do they do that for when you can pray straight to Jesus? But other people's excesses actually robbed us of so much blessing because I don't think I've ever heard a sermon about Mary. We kind of, oh, Mary. Oh, that's the Catholic thing, isn't it? You know, but we... Protestant evangelicals, most of us. And if you're Catholic, you're dead welcome. But please don't pray to Mary, pray to Jesus. <laughs> but we Protestant evangelicals can learn so much from one of the most remarkable women in Scripture. And there were four things that I think God spoke to me about. What is it about this woman, this young kid, that she found the favour of God and was given the most important task in all of human history? I mean, Mary was given the responsibility of birthing the saviour of the world. Not just birthing him, but feeding him at a breast, cleaning his dirty bottom and wiping up his sick. I mean, the creator of the universe. Can you believe it? That's what happened, people. That's what we celebrate at Christmas time. Awesome, awesome responsibility. Was there anything about this girl that said, you're the highly favoured one, as my eyes have ranged all over Israel to find the receptacle for this great miracle, you're the one I've chosen? Well, I think there were four things as I was praying about this and reflecting on it. The first thing was Mary's urgency as soon as the word of God came. The word of the Lord came. You know the next thing she did? 60 mile trek along, along difficult Long, difficult terrain to get to her auntie Elizabeth to share the good news. She, she didn't mess about. She, something rose up. She got ready and hurried, the Bible says, to Zechariah's house. <coughs> Once the word of Lord comes in the Bible, there's a lot of hurrying. There's a lot of rushing. Don't mess about. And I want to say to you people this morning, and anybody who's listening online, if you've got the word of the Lord, go for it. Yes, there's a season of testing and prayer and, and you know, make sure you have good counsel around you. But don't hang about. Life's too short. If you know it's the word of the Lord, especially if you've had a hundred foot angel bring it to you. <laughs> don't mess about. There's an urgency. There's a swiftness in response, isn't there? There's a, God's told me to give this up. Okay, I'm going to give this up. God's told me to go to this person. Okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to go now. God's called me to change in this area. I'm not going to mess about. I've been waiting for the last two years to sort it out. Today, because God's speed, there's going to be an urgency because I want to be the favoured one. I want to walk in the favour of God. So there's an urgency around Mary. Mary. 
the first thing. Second thing, there's an excitement. When she met with Elizabeth, she was literally spinning like a top. She was jumping around and the baby inside Elizabeth's womb was jumping with her. There was just the joy of the Lord in the place and excitement about God could use someone even like me for his great purposes. Anybody excited to be a Christian? Anybody excited about Christmas time? Not Christmas time, I'm going to have a big sack full of presents. But I know the real meaning of it. Wouldn't it be great if we as the message were going around the country going, would you lot just calm down? You know, chill out a bit, Christians. Stop getting so excited. Well, a hallmark of the message is passion, excitement. I love it, you know, when it kicks off and we're all getting a bit too excited about Jesus. Because it is so much easier to cool down a furnace than warm up a corpse. And I want a furnace at the message trust. I'm fire for Jesus, excited about the things of God. Literally, my spirit rejoices this is what the Magnificat my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices literally in the original language means leaping and skipping denoting excessive or ecstatic joy and delight in other words Mary is excited about the purposes of God and it's what drove her through all the hassle and all the difficulty that sheer passion and sheer excitement and I'm an Anglican by the first 40 years of my Christian life. But in the Anglican church, there's a funny old thing, right? So, so the, most churches, most or lots of Anglican churches have like the cool services and the Alpha course and everything, but then they would have the 1662 prayer book service written, you know, 400 plus years ago. And uh, in that service is the Magnificat. Week after week, thousands and thousands of churches will sing Mary's song not just at Christmas time week in week out and they sing it like this my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my saviour for he has been mindful of etc etc doesn't sound like they're spinning like a top with ecstatic joy and delight does it that's the song. It's a song of overflowing, excessive joy. God, you're on my life. I don't even know what the future's going to look like, but I've got the prophetic word. I know I'm going to be used. I'm going to do something of eternal significance here. So happy days. Come on. To all the hassle, this is the most exciting business in the world. Let's never lose it. Let's never lose the sheer joy of being filled with him and being used in his high and glorious purposes. We live in a world, don't we, that's filled with excess. You know, there'll be an excess of materialism and consumerism and sex and drugs and alcohol. Just too much. How about some people who lived in excessive, ecstatic joy in Jesus? Speak volumes to a world in need. The third thing about Mary that I believe got God's attention, the reason she found favour, greatly favour, great favour, ex- excessive favour from God towards this young woman, was that she loved the Bible. I'll tell you how I know she loved the Bible, because when she sang the Magnificat, her song, just totally off the cuff, she sang this song with Mary, and they both bounced up and down with excessive ecstatic joy and delight. Twelve Old Testament scripture passages poured out of her. 
12 Old Testament scripture passages. So this young girl, 13 or 14, at a time of great joy, and I'm confident later on in life, a time of great trial, what poured out of her was the word of God. Heavenly Father could rely on Mary to bring up his son in the word of God because she knew the word. It wasn't like she just had a little quiet time. Her blood was very bibline with the word of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? What poured out of Mary was scripture, scripture, scripture. You don't get that by five minutes a day in the word. And she only had the Old Testament. We've got the New Testament and we can feed on the word. And so at times of great joy, a great trial, we're overcomers because we're people of the word. There's something massive here for us at the message. I don't just want evangelists to be released into the schools and the prisons and the tough communities. I want Bible teaching evangelists. Because sometimes our words can just bounce off people's heads, but the word of God can take root. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Just use the word of God. Every time you get an opportunity, whether it's 10 minutes on a Monday morning or 40 minutes at a church or 20 minutes at the end of a gig, bring the word of God to life. The way Mary did, related it to her situation and poured it out. What a role model for us, don't you think? And sometimes I get to prepare a message or whatever, even like this morning actually. And last night I'm preparing this message and I'm thinking, flipping heck, I get paid to do this. I get paid to dig in the word of God and read the commentaries and read what other great men and women of God have said about this passage. I even get paid and I stand up and, and I preach it and I get way more than you're getting out of it. That's always the way, isn't it? As you dig into the word of God, what a prize, what a treasure we have. And Mary loves scripture, you love scripture. And when the fourth thing about Mary, and I think this is possibly the most important thing of all, is her humility. She said in her song, you've been mindful for the humble state of your servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. Easier said than done. Jesus, I want to be a humble man. When the rubber hits the road and when people are annoying and people don't do things like the way you want them to or people don't do things as well as you do, you clown. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? You know, that spirit, that just can, it's not the humble spirit. It's not the gracious heart. It's not the sweet spirit that's always thinking the best of other people. But in 1 Peter 5, it says this, God resists the proud but gives favour to the humble. I want to know God's favour. So I better work at being humble. It says the same thing in James. Virtually word for word, James 4 verse 5. Peter and James realise that God resists the proud but gives favour to the humble. I know I've said this in this setting before but Francis Chan's new book is amazing. But he asked this um, Indian guy who was, seen, you know, who was a, a humble man. Nobody knows the guy, but he's led two million people to Jesus through his movement. Planted thousands of churches across India. And Francis Chan said to him, what's your key in recruiting leaders? Your leaders are just so amazing. All these, some sacrificing their lives and planting churches. Francis, uh, Francis Chan this said, this Indian guy said, I recruit my leaders on humility first. I've never gone wrong when I've recruited him in terms of humility. I've often gone wrong when I've recruited him in terms of training and, and uh, gifting and resource and all that stuff. But never when I recruit him first in terms of humility. It's the humble that are lifted high. We need to work at being humble. And Mary was clearly a truly, truly humble woman. 
And she received this awesome, awesome word. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you to call him Jesus. He'll be great and he'll be the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How can this be, Mary, asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to now have a child in her old age. And she who said she was unable to conceive is now in her six months. For no word from God will ever fail. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Well, so she received this awesome promise. Now, apparently, in Mary's day, Greek and Roman gods were worshipped in temples and there was supposed to be this practice of having sexual relations with women and it was all very sordid, the gods having sex with people. This is an altogether different thing, isn't it? It's a mysterious, beautiful, holy thing. But it's also a, a tough word for Mary, isn't it? And I don't think we realise just how tough. You know, we live in a society nowadays where 50% around of kids are born out of wedlock. So 50% of kids aren't born by together with a, a parent. It's a tragedy in many ways, isn't it? And it's hard to imagine what it was like being for Mary to be asked in a society where no one was illegitimate. It just didn't happen. You know, <coughs> virgins saved themselves and children were born in the context of marriage. And uh, I read this morning, actually, again, Mark chapter 6. And I felt the weight of it. And now a dagger it must have been for Mary. Because in Mark chapter 6, you know, 30 years later, Jesus' ministry has started. And he, he started doing the miracles. He started bringing the amazing teaching. And lots of people are amazed. But he goes home, goes presumably to Mary's house. And the people are offended at him. And they say, Mark 6, verse 3, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offence at him. No mention of his dad, no mention of his human father, his, his stepfather, Joseph. This is Mary's son. You would never describe a child like that in Mary's day. It's like really sticking the knife on. Yeah, sure, as if, as if he's the one. Little bastard boy, that's actually what they're saying. They're really sticking the knife in. Mary's son, look at him. Making out he's something special. And the Bible goes on to say, and Jesus could not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. How hard is that for Mary? But of course, just as we're coming to land here, of course this was vital for our salvation. Jesus had God as his dad and Mary as his mum. He was fully God and fully man. He was a dual citizen of heaven and earth. He couldn't save us otherwise. He was eligible to save us as one of us. But he had power to save us as God himself. I mean, anybody say hallelujah when I say that? Can I just say that again? You know, this thing works, it's true. He's changing lives and changing whole nations because the saviour left heaven and came to earth and was born in a scruffy backwater place called Nazareth to live this incredible life and birth this church. Let me say it again. He's eligible to save us because he's one of us. He has power to save us because he's God himself. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
what a story. What a God who doesn't become bigger to impress us, but becomes smaller to attract us. So small. And yet he's so vast, isn't he? And his love's huge for you. And he wants his favour to rest on you. Let's stand together. Lord, we, we love you. We love this gospel. We love the Christmas message, but we're gutted that so many people don't even know the things that we've read in your word today. We want everyone to know that. And we want your favour, not to just to rest on our lives, but to rest on a nation. Right. To rest on whole communities and whole prisons. You visit those places and they're highly favoured and live great lives. And if there's anything, Lord, we need to repent of and deal with so we can come more in line with you. Any area where we're not moving swiftly in obedience to what you've said. Any, any area where we're excited about the things of this world more than they are, we are about the things of heaven. If we've been lax in our, and babyish in our reading of scripture and study of your word. And any area where we've been proud, we're scared of being resisted by the living God. So we choose the path of humility today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, God. Bless you, Jesus. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support or even get involved with one of our teams. 